G'day everyone, welcome to the Talking Leadership podcast series. Thank you for joining me again. Very much looking forward to today's discussion on on many levels, particularly around leadership, obviously, but the affliction that my guest has to a a certain sporting endeavor. But let let me get to uh, presenting my guest. So by way of introduction, my guest has represented his country at the 1982 FIFA World Cup held in Spain and has coached the New Zealand national team at the 2010 FIFA World Cup and in 2014 worked with the FIFA Technical Study Group in Brazil. My guest is also the Director of Football Academy. Can I welcome to the podcast Ricky Herbert? How are you, mate? I'm very good, Eric, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. The, the pleasure and honour is all on this side of the table, mate. So let's let's get started at the start of, of the podcast by asking by me asking you, your leadership and its beginnings, mate, where do we start on that? Yeah, look, I think um, when, when I reflect back now, Eric, to sort of embracing into the, the World Cup campaign that I was you know, very fortunate to take on board and in 2005 was my first sort of dipping of my feet into a, a, a national entity and I guess seeking and, and, and feeling the responsibilities of what that role had and quickly coming to terms with how I would uh, deliver how would I how would I would embrace how would I bring together the strength and guidance of a management group that would be good enough to formulate a team that could go back to a World Cup that we hadn't been present in for 28 years. So I guess there was a I guess there was a real script. There was a blueprint. There was a there was a foothold into what the past um, had provided. And, and some absolute special memories of that as a, as a young player. So I guess I had this all sitting in front of me and, and thinking, right, what are the next steps? What, what does it need to look like from a leadership point of view over the next four years? How do we make this work and how do we make it successful? Okay. And look, Ricky, thank you for that. So one, one thing that stood out in that um, response, and just if we can dig just a little bit, you said you looked at the past. Now, from my perspective, I think good introspective leaders look at past, look at what's going on now, and then look to the future. So you're looking back at what was, did you learn some lessons from that 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 helped inform what you needed to do to get to the 2010 World Cup? Was that why you did that? Yeah, look, I think, yeah, certainly looking back, I think, you know, there were some prominent things in, in, in 1982. And I think, as, as I say, I was very young, only 21 at the World Cup. So, you know, it was a, a huge honour to, to be part of a, a very, very iconic um, group of players at that point. But when I look at it and I sort of ring fence, culture, commitment, dedication across across that spectrum. And then I, then I, I sort of glazed my eyes across what the coaching staff and management were like back then albeit through some some pretty small glasses and, and you know from a young from a young kid's perspective and and how they took the approach to deal with you know senior players in the side middle-aged players in the side younger players ambition players like myself you know hoping the desire to not only make a a, a squad of 23 players to represent and, and play in qualification let alone go to a world cup but to be a starting player in the world cup you know how did they deal with me how did they you know sort of align all the you know the cultural things how did they align me through their sort of leadership strengths and and guidance so i guess i did i i, I dug really deep into that to think what are the what were the pros what were the cons what were the strengths what were the weaknesses you know what were the the really positive sides of the leadership um, delivery that I saw from a head coach, from a from an assistant coach, you know, from other management people, and and 
what was their sort of responsibilities and guidance and delivery methods across that team that would help the team be really successful. So I kind of plucked all those sort of things out. And then once appointed in the role, I, I, I sat down with one person in particular who was heavily involved in high level business and kind of presented all my facts and thoughts and feelings from the past, albeit, you know, 28 odd years ago, and kind of delivered that onto the table and went, right, how are we going to make a big difference in four years' time? Oh, wow. That's uh, that's amazing. And it, it's probably a good way to get a baseline for where you're at. And it, it, it segues nicely into my next topic area, Ricky. So let's, if we can, we, if we can move to that, because I think these are very much linked. How do you then define leadership? For, for me, it's, you know, if I, if I kind of put it into some sort of quotation um, and, and, and certainly flow off that and, and, and build from that, but, you know, to have the ability individually or as a team of individuals to affect, influence people, you know, in an individual or a collective way. So, you know, I was, you know, I kind of looked at it to say, could I personally have the ability, you know, to affect and influence players or staff? in a way that would be positive and would generate a successful outcome? And then did I have the ability to, to provide that influence and effect across a range of people that would also be able to deliver um, an effective and, and, and quality delivery across a range of people as well? So kind of getting the vision and and getting that in the context of where we wanted to be. So 2005 to 2010, we did, we did if I can just sort of digress slightly, we did, we did have a, a common thought on an outcome for us was clearly qualifying and going to another World Cup, which we hadn't been to in 28 years. But we actually ring-fenced something different from a term was we actually wanted to change a nation. So the World Cup by default would kind of lead us there, but we wanted to kind of stop a nation and change a nation by creating something that hadn't been there for such a long period of time. And I think, you know, when I look back now, a sold-out stadium in Wellington to see the team win 1-0 and go back to a World Cup and the ripple effect that it had across the whole of the nation whether it was sitting behind a TV, sitting in a bar, actively involved in the stadium, live. It had a fantastic flow to the country. And we kind of felt once we got that result in 2009 and it achieved the qualification to the World Cup, we'd actually achieved the other, the other desire, and that was actually to, to, to change a nation. And, you know, we felt, and you know, once that final whistle blew, that we'd kind of done that as well. So um, you know, we set we set the bar pretty high, but uh, we felt that we probably we probably we, we were probably touching it anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, mate. That's uh, talk about lofty goals or goal setting. Let's see, qualify for a World Cup, change the perception of a country about what we do in our sport. Yeah, not 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 too big a goal. Two sets of goals there, mate. That's um, yeah, that that's unbelievable. Look, I, I have to ask about goal setting, and and this is something I haven't done a lot of in the podcast and that's to my detriment because I'm, I'm here to learn as well so let me ask you when you were setting these goals did you guys get blown away by the magnitude of what it is you were pursuing or did you chunk it up so that you took steps 
to try and reach those goals because I have to say as an outsider looking in, I've never been a professional athlete. I've never coached professional athletes. Was this something that was a challenge to the group of players and you and and the people around you or was it just this is part of doing business, being elite athletes, let's just get on with it? And get it done. Like what? What was the what was the thinking there? Because the fascination for me on this is that taking a team with you to achieve a goal is one thing. Taking that team and also, in some ways, asking them to to, to change thinking nationally around a sport is quite another thing altogether. So, talk to me about that if you could, please. Yeah, sure. Look, I think and and, and two really great points too, Eric. And I think you know, minds mindset changing. I think for me was was critical when I you know. My, my perception, and I, and, and I think I truly valued the opportunity of being a national coach. I think that was the first thing. And I think when you align that to the responsibility and accountability that you have, then my role, my description, my contract was about going to a World Cup. So our vision was clearly set that our outcome boundaries was to take this team to a World Cup. When you draw that back, given in the context of the playing group that none of those players were playing in a team that had previously been to a World Cup. So the the outcome was going to be something completely different. They hadn't had a taste of it. So then the goal setting became divided, as you say, into different aspects and different criterias. But the vision was, was clear that we wanted a culture, we wanted players, we wanted aspiration, we wanted dedication, but we wanted thoughtful thinking, visionary players that truly believed in their hearts that they could take this nation back to another World Cup. So once we could instill the vision and we could make that clear and we could provide clarity, then we could start on that journey on how we thought collectively we could be successful to achieve that vision. So, and some of the players, and I think, you know, the context that I was um, mentioning before about myself as a young player in 82, we were bringing young players into this group. We had some more experienced players and we had some senior players that were playing in some very good competitive teams around the world. So now it was a matter of actually bringing all those thoughts, all those qualities, all those strengths together. And I guess looking at the lowest denominator, really, Eric, and saying we needed to lift the lowest denominator in our group to the highest level that we possibly could so we would have a minimal um, margin between what was perceived as being a top and bottom ratio within our playing group. So we worked effectively across that, and that was whilst the vision sat there as our long-term objective, we then had to go to work with a lot of plans and strategies and processes to provide the information, the confidence to a whole range and different school set of people that were in the playing group, as well as the management group and providing them with their strengths and supporting their weaknesses for them to be on the journey, to be able to provide the best possible delivery in whatever capacity they were engaged to deliver as well. Thanks, Ricky. That makes a lot of sense. And the flow of this is quite nice because the next topic area is 
wouldn't call it the dark side of leadership, but definitely this this idea of the lonely road of leadership. Now, it's not a phrase that I coined, so I'm, I'm not I'm not saying it's mine, but it's definitely a topic area worth exploring because, and this is my assumption here, so I'm, I'm uh, please correct me if, if I'm going off track a little here, but what I can sense from what you were saying is that this was a long-term endeavour with a very very public, very uh, strategic goal, vision in mind at the end of that process. And obviously there's a pathway to get there and decisions have to be made along the way, uh, good and bad, depending on your perspective. And you know, outcomes of decisions always are subjective for the person on the receiving end. Is leadership in your mind a lonely pathway or as lonely as you make it? Yeah, I think... Um... <clears throat> Were there lonely moments um, through my career, Eric? Absolutely, and and I think you know for me that that sort of that sort of pathway was clearly around in my heart making decisions and taking responsibility. And I think I always ring fenced those two areas to say, Ricky, make decisions and accept those responsibilities. And you know, fl- flowing off the back of that, I guess I wanted to underpin some areas that I believed were some pretty strong points that would support me, would support that journey, I guess would support that leadership position through that period of time, whether challenging or not. And I I just made some some points here, which I'll just roll through and then kind of um, build on. But I I always stood for what I believed. So I was always very strong on the values that I had. From an honesty perspective, I always prompted and promoted open conversation. So I think it was always the dialogue was very fluent, was very transparent across players and staff. I always wanted to take the pathway of being very humble and respectful and asked questions because I asked them because I wanted to listen. I didn't always ask questions because I wanted to have an opinion. I actually asked questions because I wanted to hear and I wanted to listen to the thoughts of a whole range of people. I trusted my staff impeccably. And I think from a responsibility point of view, I always entrusted them and empowered them to take the responsibility aligned with the accountability. And I think when they saw myself in a coaching position, uh, making decisions and being responsible for those decisions, then they felt that they could make decisions and have the acceptance of their responsibility in their coveted role, whatever that may be across that management group. And then just, you know, full dedication. I mean, the team went first in terms of interest not mine. So we were always promoting the team, the interest, the outcome, the vision, and where that could take people. So having that, and then I think when you get on that road, Eric, whether it's lonely or whether it's not, I felt that I was walking on a road that actually had some stability to it, that it gave me some foundation to feel not safe because, and and, and when I say safe, to be coaching a national team has, has, a, has a strong degree of vulnerability and opinion and context and results and where, where they're going and, and how, that, how that campaign's looking. But I felt by just laying down the foundations and providing that, 
and feeling comfortable with that and delivering that on a day-to-day basis that the lonely road would not be as lonely as it possibly could have been. Looking at national teams and the people, the coaches that are there to, to help them achieve a success, whatever that success looks like for that team and the management of that team, essentially the national coach is the focal point of media, is the focal point of armchair generals about whether they've done a good, bad or indifferent job. And I think it's... um. It's a, you're doing the public does a disservice to uh, coaches and national co- coaches when they expect uh, success all the time. And I think that is an unreasonable ask. And it links uh, significantly to the next area that I'd like to talk to you about, Ricky, and that's about measuring success. So obviously, you guys were successful in that you got to a World Cup, you changed the discussion nationally around the sport, there was a, a, a mindset shift that you helped to generate. And this is a, a one sporting team that did that. So well done on, on that score. But obviously there are other measures of success as you went along. So can you maybe give us a sense of what those were? And I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not talking about, you know, you reached the World Cup, that's the end of success. What other things look like success for you as a leader taking this team to that World Cup? And, and even the qualifying process. So obviously there are a few setbacks if you've had a few losses. Now, I, I couldn't go back in the archive to find out on the campaign to the, the World Cup that you were coaching at, whether or not in, in uh, 2010, whether in the qualifiers you had a, a loss or two before you got there or did you have a straight run of wins? Yes, I think um, it's a good point too, Eric. And I think if I, if I go back a little bit though in the campaign, because you know the, cam- the campaign was about uh, coming on board, getting a group of staff, what do they look like, um, selecting people that I thought had the right motivation, the right culture, the right blend to be part of that. But the, but the program from a football analogy and getting the campaign underway from a game perspective was about, and, and I pitched this very clearly out into the media, was I wanted to play as many meaningful and challenging games as I possibly could within the framework of the financial components of the organization and in the framework of the international windows and availabilities of the players. So these were international fixtures that were friendlies, but would lay the foundation for the main World Cup qualification that was going to come further down the track. So I guess I wanted to sense and I wanted players to go through diversity, challenges, and whatever level they they might be like. I wanted to understand, Eric, what the character of the person I had in my team and how they were going to respond when things weren't normal. So I wanted to provide different experiences for them. And just to quote one of those, in 2006, we were the only international team to play Brazil before they went to the World Cup in 2006. So New Zealand, Brazil, in Geneva, massive game for the organization, but a huge challenge across management and a huge challenge across players. And as we moved through the progressional stages of providing those challenges, so we went into South America, we went into Europe, we played some home fixtures, that, that I would be in a far more 
knowledgeable position to sense the types of players that I needed when I knew that it was going to come, that we needed to get a result to go to a World Cup. So I didn't, I didn't want to go on a, a nice pathway where the results were probably going to be way more favourable for me as a coach. I wanted to go on a pathway where I could provide the challenges for everybody, albeit that the results may look, may look different. And I guess that was going a little bit back to the lonely road that the campaign wasn't going to be about me and winning every single game as a national coach. It was about providing the right products, the right environments and the right challenges that would give us the best opportunity of going back to a World Cup that we hadn't been to in 28 years. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess the challenge for any national team is when the team's successful, it was the team that did it. When the team's not successful, it's because of bad coaching and you're in, you're in a hiding to nothing when you're doing that. And, and I get what you've described there is that your measure of success wasn't necessarily the win. It was getting to play teams that would give you a challenge that wasn't a easy pathway to get to your goal. And that's an interesting, it's an interesting perspective that to get or maybe, maybe it's a no-brainer in, in your world when you're dealing with elite athletes is that you're only going to get better by playing as good, if not better, opposition to get better. That there's, You're never going to get better at things like, uh, and the only analogy that comes to mind is if you're playing a, a, a board game or a video game, you're not going to get better if you're playing people that are, are not as good as you because you're always going to have the win, but it's not based on any challenge. And so I, I can see the logic of what you did. It's quite risky though, because had... Things gone pear shaped that way. It would have would have made your life exceptionally difficult. But you got to a World Cup, so whatever you did obviously worked. And nothing's ever without a challenge, obviously. And again, Ricky, you're helping me get through the the questions here by linking the different areas. So let if we can, let's talk about leader capability. So you've you've hinted at what those might be, but let let me ask you this: Has your perception of what are the most important leader capabilities changed over your career as a professional athlete and then into coaching? Do you have you bought, has your lens changed or fundamentally are those capabilities the same? Um, I wouldn't say they've, they've changed dramatically really, Eric. I think, and, and I think if I can just touch and I'll come, come straight back to this one was, um, I guess I guess I felt that if, I, if, I'd, have listen, if I'd have listened to people who were favorable because we were winning games, then I wouldn't have been true to my values. I wouldn't have been true to saying, I want challenges. I want to play the best teams in the world. I want to do, um, I, 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 and, and if that meant I had to move away from my job, then I would have left knowing that my values had still been delivered, that I didn't change um, and and direct a different course because I was influenced to do it in any way. But yeah, in, le- in leadership sort of, or leader c- um, capabilities, um, and again, I just highlighted some areas that we can expand on, but you know, to provide the vision, to develop self-leadership, recognize and improve personal leadership, to motivate and inspire people, empowering others to develop and grow their own leadership capabilities, integrity, you know, like a team builder, perception so you know I've always been sort of somebody to categorize and then expand across and I think in those 
sort of half a dozen areas there. I wouldn't say I've moved away from those. Probably, you know, by providing a vision, I guess there, there, there may be some other layers that sit under how I get to that vision that I would be seeking and working through. But the two, 2010 program was, was operational, and I think it was management-wise had depth. Management-wise, it had quality. And we even added to that management group when we went to the World Cup because personally I felt that we were, I was, missing an area within the leadership group that was going to be supportive and add value to the team. And that was somebody coming on board to support me, to mentor me through that World Cup campaign where we went to South Africa in 2010. So again, I think, you know, reflecting back on it's such, it's, it's, it's not about the individual. It's, it's how we can grow and how we can all grow together. And I think just having the ability to, to add those layers of support, experience and quality around you um, when you feel it's needed. A couple of things come to mind here. We could we could go down some interesting rabbit holes here, but I think they're all related to the, the leadership discussions. So you as a professional coach, when you said you got a mentor, who are you going to, I mean, you've got the top job in terms of sport and for soccer tragics, it doesn't get better than being a national coach. Who do you go to to get that kind of inspiration as a mentor? Who who Can you mention that person or do you want to talk about that person in the abstract, you don't have to name the person, obviously, but did you find and actively look for that mentor? Did someone say to you, hey, Ricky, doing an awesome job, but we've got someone here that we think can help you on the journey here? Was it Which, which one was it or was it something different altogether? Yeah, no, I reached out personally because, you know, we'd, we'd got to a point where we were a home and, a, home and away game, you know, from going back to a World Cup. So I wanted, I wanted to tap into a market with somebody who had had it who had had experience in those areas of the territory we were going in, so the region that we were going to be playing against, and and the types of challenges that we may face by travelling into those sorts of areas. Because I think, Eric, and and, and I say this like unbelievably respectfully, I think in in some sports you, you get a national team job, you feel really excited about it and you want to do it. And before you know it, you're not doing it anymore. And you go, if I'd only asked, if I'd only spoken to somebody, if I'd only reached out to, to maybe get that little diamond in the rough, you know, that little nugget of gold, that, that could be the defining factor. And, and, and for me, I wanted to do that. I, I didn't, you know, the old analogy of don't leave, you know, any stone unturned. I felt there was a, there was a na- nation responsibility to make sure that everybody had the best chance that they possibly could have. And it was one of the best decisions I've made. And I think, you know, from a leadership point of view, to, to reach out to somebody to say, this is a role. This is a support mechanism that I think can add value to the whole plan. Then, yeah, I was I was extremely pleased in, in being able to do that. Just an observation, I guess um, most leaders face external challenges because you 
you wouldn't be a leader if there wasn't a challenge to face or a goal to reach. And I, I would have to say that having the expectations and pressure of a nation on your back, not, not a bad way to get some gray hairs and, and uh, yeah, increase it. <laughs> yeah, well, me too, uh, to increase your, your stress levels over time, mate. And I, I don't understand how some people do it, but part of me, through the the discussions that I've been having, I now have a much deeper appreciation for those crazies out there. And I'll put you in that box that want the challenge that is not just a little one, it's as big as you're going to get. And I can see why that is appealing to some people. And one thing that I wanted to ask before, and I think we're at a good spot here in the discussion for me to ask this of you is it appears to me, and this is just a view, please challenge me if I'm, if I'm on the wrong track here, Ricky, that you're a reflective kind of individual and you're a reflective leader. And I would put the following to you that if you aren't a reflective practitioner, you don't know how to receive feedback and you don't know what to do with that feedback, then you're not going to be as optimally effective as you could be. Is that is that a fair call? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, um, you know, I, I always value that I could go to my hotel room, open the door, invite somebody in and have that meaningful conversation that tomorrow could make the difference for my football team to be more successful. Now, I might have that conversation with the management and I might not change anything the next day. But if I make that minimal change because I feel it's the right thing to do and I've opened up and shared that discussion, and feel that the value is important to that team, then I would make that decision to do it. And and I think when you look globally across the world, people who sit in amazingly high leadership discussions, that when they have to come to a decision that could be crucial for the whole of their nation, then I think they would have been reflective around input discussion, but then that person is going to make that call. And it was exactly the same for me that I needed to leave my room, go to that football environment and make that decision, whether that was leaving a player out um, or changing my system of play or whatever decision, then I had to make that. It didn't matter where where the conversation had come from or the discussions with my staff. I had to make that decision and I had to accept the responsibility of making that decision. The uh, last two topic areas, some we're gonna have some fun with these questions because um, I'm looking forward to asking you the next one. The nature versus nurture issue: Are leaders born or are they made, Ricky? Yeah, super question. I'm just doing a um, I'm just doing a business project with FIFA currently, and you know, for 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 listeners that may come on come on the podcast, jump on to FIFA the next ninety. It's a new business project that they've uh, innovated and they've, they've put out. So there's um, 35 candidates across the world that are um, going through their business studies and um, yeah, learning what their next their next part of life may look like. But um, yeah, it's a fantastic, fantastic model. But uh, sorry, I thought I'd just throw that in there for for, for people that might want to jump on and have a look. Uh, plug um, away, mate. Plug away. Yeah, and um, and and this was a topic, you know, a leader's born or made or you know kind of thing. So, I, I guess predominantly, predominantly, and gee, I'm 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 open for, for for opinions here too, Eric. Absolutely, but predominantly, I think there's a larger percentage of leaders are made, and and I guess 
quantifying that in, in just in some simplistic terms around, you know, you need to work hard to develop and refine your characteristics. So you can be put on this earth and uh, you can have a lot of ingredients within the system. But then I think there's some really defining areas that groom and make leaders character, effort and desire. I think we're just three simple terms that I'd put in a box that, you know, what flows under character, what flows under effort, what do they mean, desire to what, you know, all those sorts of things. And I think leaders need to go through experiences, Eric. You know, I think they need to, you know, if I'm, if I'm quantifying it to myself, to become a prominent leader in my sport, then I needed experiences to be provided and I needed to work through those to fully understand, to come out, to be able to provide the highest level of leadership that could be successful. And I guess it's, you know, through effort, through desire. And I think a lot of people will have an experience and then not want to have that experience again. And they won't become prominent leaders. And I think it's those people who love the challenge, have a very, very unique and strong characteristic, are powerful in the efforts that they, they have and have an immense desire to want to be successful. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fantastic topic because I think, you know, you've got a Winston Churchill, for example, that, you know, people will say were made in his time and his legacy. I, I guess now in 2022, if I'm reflecting on it, I'm probably saying that there's a larger percentage of leaders that have been generated, you know, through being made as opposed to, yeah, being there and born. On this question, Ricky, this topic area, there is no, well, okay, from my perspective, there is no right and wrong. It's, it's a matter of opinion because it's subjective. I would I would um, suggest to you, look, the, the, int- the interesting thing about what you've raised there from your perspective, and I'm not challenging this, it's just a view, is that, and, and you mentioned it about um, wanting to lead, that leadership is a choice. So the day that you decide not to want to be a leader, you don't want to make those choices anymore, there's nothing wrong with you. You're just not in the leadership game anymore. And I think the desire to lead has to be a driving force for those that are going to become effective leaders because there's there's the, the good bits that come with being a leader, but there's also the elements where you have to make decisions, you have to make uncomfortable decisions at times. I would suggest to those listening that a national coach that cuts a player would be an extremely difficult decision to make. And I'm sure you've had some sleepless nights on this stuff. And so the the, the human element there around leadership is that there's, there's a need to make decisions and that's why you're in a leadership role. And so this idea about being made in the context you, you've come up through, yeah, you, you'd want to be developing your people as you go along because even in a team, you're going to have those that want to be part of the team and don't want to make command decisions, if we want to call it that, versus those that thrive on it because they want to see the team succeed in a different way. And this, this comes back to something that's been coming up a lot in my discussions is you don't have to have the title to be a leader because you can lead at different levels within a team. And I'm sure you saw some of that as you were training these, these young professionals up, but you also did mention that you had young guns coming in, established players, and those players that were potentially 
at the end of a career. So it's quite a mixed bag to try and get a team to function when they're not all homogenous, they're not all the same, and they've got different life experiences. And I, I would I would suggest from what I can see that if you've got national players that play in a domestic league versus players that are playing in Europe or South America or or Africa, wherever they're playing, once they leave the home nests, you're they're playing in a different environment and they learn different things. So massive challenge i guess when you're dealing with professional people but it's it's the pathway you chose and it's it's um mate i've got a million other questions here but they're not leadership related so i'll get back to the topic now ricky the final topic area this is one uh looking back if you had the ability to to go back in time and talk to a younger version of yourself what would you say to yourself of being about about being a more effective leader yeah, super point. And I think, um, again, just, just touching on what you said, Eric, I think you know, p- part, part of our process was, and it's, it's a very modern term now, is implementing leadership groups within your sporting culture, um, business structures, etc. So I think you're formulating a different level of leadership, which is flowing down to other people, which is then uplining to the person who's making those final decisions. But yeah, look, if I was looking back, if, you know, if I was... In a conversation with with an up and coming young aspirational coach, then then I'd be you know I'd be really keen to understand kind of where that person wanted to go and how they how they thought they they could get there because I think in the modern times it's about um, sometimes applying for a job, getting the position, and then failing. And not every person, not every coach in sport is going to be successful. I mean that's. That's the reality of it. That's the hotbed of competition that you go to, that you elect, as you say. It's a, it's a choice that you make, that you feel that you can go to that environment and you can make a difference and make that difference successful. So my, my conversation with somebody or looking back, you know, from a younger perspective would be, what is the substance? What is the platform? What is the, the quality of ingredients that you have that you can make that cake the best it possibly can be? Um, and what layers of those ingredients do you have? And I think sharing that and encouraging those people to be reaching out and connecting with like-minded people that challenge you that may have a different opinion, that you are open to different types of conversations and information coming back, but putting down what your values are and taking the information and retaining the values and and those core values moving forward that would help you achieve what that that outcome could look like. So just, yeah, for me, it was, you know, I was excited. It was an opportunity. It was a but when you sit down with people who have got good experiences, Eric, then you need to listen. And, and I bring that one back to say, ask questions so you can hear or you can listen, not simply to have an opinion. Yeah, I appreciate that, Ricky. Look, Ricky, thank you for your time today, mate. This has been amazing. So for those listening, I've been speaking to Ricky Herbert. Ricky, thank you for your time. Absolute pleasure, Eric. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll catch you all on the next podcast.